maximum today. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Modern Man Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for the time. And as always, I'm going to request that you hit that like button, share it with a friend that you know can get some value from this, and hit subscribe to get a new episode each and every single week because we are on a mission of connecting men in pursuit of their potential. And we do that by embracing discomfort, cultivating community, and putting wind in each other's sails. We're getting wind in our sails today from an amazing guest joining us from not just across the pond, but from down under, coming out of Tasmania, Australia. It's my pleasure to invite award-winning productivity author and speaker, Daniel C. on the podcast. Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, no, thanks, Ted, for having me on the podcast. It's great to be here and have this conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love getting, giving the opportunity to the guest and the audience to get acquainted without me messing it up. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes really quick, just to let the folks know who you are, what you do, and we can kind of unpack more of today's subject matter. Yeah. No, thank you. So look, as you, as you mentioned, you can hear my accent. I'm from Australia. Uh, I live in a place called Hobart, Tasmania. Uh, and if you don't know where that is, it's right at the bottom of Australia. It's an island. So I'm pretty much as far away as I can be from where you are, Ted. But um, uh, it's the place where you get the Tassie devil if you watch too many Looney Tunes cartoons from mm. uh, when you're a kid. Uh, so I have three kids and I am a, an entrepreneur. So I run a productivity consulting business. Uh, I train busy leaders and executives uh, around Australia and actually around the world now because of Zoom and Teams and the benefit of technology. Uh, I train people in how to get their inbox to zero, how to be more productive, how to build strength-based teams and uh, and how to rethink their relationship with technology, uh, which is what my book is about. Yeah. In terms of background, I, I used to be a physiotherapist, so I have a, a background in health. Um, a lot of my passion for helping people shift their habits comes from that training. So I used to help people shift their physical habits, uh, but now I help people shift their work and life habits. And um, yeah, and I'm also passionate about helping parents parent well in this tech field, uh, tech saturated age. That's yeah, that's a bit about me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the book is called Space Maker: How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. And I mean, the first question you, you mentioned three kids and obviously getting so much done, how do you get as much as you get done while parenting? That's probably what a lot of our listeners are probably thinking is as they look at their own situation. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, look, I am a productivity guy. So for a long time, I've been really passionate about reading about how do you get, not just get things done, but get the right things done. So how do you how do you organize yourself? So organize your email and online to-do list, how to set up really healthy habits for your personal growth and development, uh, but also doing it in a meaningful and directional way. So you're not just working for the sake of it, but so that you're getting the right things done. Um, but it's funny, like I'm in my mid forties now. And when I was 20, it was very much, uh, you know, let's just smash out as much as I can hit my goals. You know, I'm, I'm the author of my own destiny and, and, uh, and I want to live life on my own terms. Uh, and, you know, and I've had a few knocks in life as tends to happen over the next kind of 20 years. And I, I would look at life quite differently now. I, I have a much slower pace in the mm. sense that uh, I have a, a, a different sense of what it means to be successful. And yeah, and part of that probably came from I almost burnt out in my 30s. Uh, and yet... Uh, I can't remember the question now. I've gone on a tangent. It's early in the morning for everyone yeah. here, so I may lose my thought. <laughs> However, uh, it yeah, I, I certainly am passionate about productivity. 
but I think productivity changes as you get older and what you really want to aim for and how you do it shifts as well. Well, you just touched on something amazing. And because I think I'm going through that shift right now, uh, I don't have kids in the picture yet, but as I've gotten married and obviously wanting to be a present, loving husband, wanting to start a business, working full-time job, keeping a full-time workout schedule, um, I've learned to extend my deadlines. And you mentioned a slower pace. I, I was like you with the go, 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 go. And um Honestly, right around my wedding, I, I was almost feeling burnt out. We had a virtual conference for the modern man coming up. I was planning a wedding in five months with my wife and all these things. I didn't feel like my time was my own. And I honestly was feeling exhausted. But you mentioned the slower pace and it's almost oxymoronic, but there's almost a piece that I feel with about like taking my time to do things. I'm still getting things done. I'm still hitting uh, milestones, but I'd, I'd love to, for you to touch on that. How can a slower pace still allow us to get so much done? Mm, yeah. And look, the research is very clear on this in productivity that people who um, create buffer or margin in their life are actually more productive. And so there is this sense where we actually need to slow down to really be at our best selves. Uh, I mean, you, you, as you said, you, you work out. So I used to be a physio, physiotherapy, uh, you might call them physical therapists in the States. And we know that with you know muscle training and exercise, if you push yourself at an elite level to the very max every day and you don't have any break days, you don't rest your body, well, then eventually you'll break and you won't be at your best. So you know, there's this sense where to get fit, you've got to push yourself, stretch yourself, uh, move yourself beyond your comfort zone, but then you actually need to chill out and actually not work so hard for a few days so that you can go back and really perform at your best. And, and the same is really true for productivity uh, and for getting things done. So um, I particularly, and I, I'm really passionate about helping people find margin in their life by unplugging from technology. Uh, and it might be worthwhile actually talking about the relationship between tech and productivity, because that'll explain what I mean by this kind of sense of rest. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I think it, it, it happens. Um, the one thing I would say that's changed in my mind is I used to rest and I used to slow down and create a bit of margin simply because I wanted to be more productive. So I could see it a bit like, you know, exercising and, and having my rest day as an elite athlete, you know, as an elite entrepreneur, writing books and running businesses and starting houses and stuff. Uh, but I think as I get older, my mindset is changing. It's probably with kids as well and different relationships, uh, losing friends to, you know, so there's different things that have happened, but uh, I now don't think any of us should have to justify uh, resting mm -hmm. and living well through an economic lens or a productivity lens because we shouldn't have to justify i don't know having a coffee and just enjoying ourselves yeah. or going for a ride or taking your kids and just mucking around at the beach none of that should have to be justified by whether it makes you productive or not actually there's value in being human mm -hmm. and uh and so in that sense while while i think resting leads to productivity should be a byproduct of life, not the only reason you do it. Does that make sense? That's a motivation oh, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. No, because, you know, just the other day we got back from a wedding yesterday, I was sitting on the couch. I got home from work and the people that listen, they know I wake up at 2am. So I'm home from work and I sat on the couch. I just had a whole vac like a whole trip, got off a plane, unpacked, went to bed, went to work, came home. And I just wanted to veg out for a little bit. And I remember asking my wife, like, Hey, is this okay? And she's like, yeah, it's okay. So for the listeners yes. and the watchers, 
when I build the life that I'm trying to build, do not judge me when I'm kicking my feet up for a little while because we earned it. We definitely did earn it. I do want to talk about, uh, you touched on it just just a brief moment ago on productivity and our relationship with technology. And there's a question on how does our productivity suffer um, when we overuse these these tools and this technology that's around us because they're supposed to make life faster. They're supposed to make life easier. I have my Google calendar. I have my text messages. I have my social media and it's all connected from my computer to my phone and my watch. And how how come all that could actually slow, how can that slow down my productivity? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I remember reading uh, a transcript from a Senator, I think in the States, this is from the 1950s, you know, it was a small, it was a small message. And, and he was predicting that because of the rise in technology, you know, by the time we hit the two thousands, the biggest problem that humanity would face is what to do with all of our spare time, because, mm-hmm. you know, technology will make us so slow and relaxed and all we'll have is leisure and it will, you know, take away all the functions that make us busy. Now that hasn't exactly happened, has it? No. Nope. You know, the more technology we have, the less space we have, the busier we are. We're running to stand still. Our brains are scattered. Our relationships are fractured. You know, we're polarizing politically. Like there's so much challenge with technology. And, and so as a leader, I saw this in my life that the more technology I used and the busier I got, and the more I worked and the more I started things, on the one hand, my influence increased. You know, I now get to speak around the world. I get to put books and share ideas everywhere. But at the same time, I lost my space and a lot of my joy and happiness because I was just working constantly and always on the go, you know, on my phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night. You know, <laughs> it's disgusting, but I'd be checking emails on, my, on the toilet. You know, I mean, most of us yeah. do it. So there's this sense where we never stop. And so I, I see this in executives, I see this in managers, that people who use technology the most are often the least happy and the least productive. They get lots done, but they don't necessarily live life well if, and they don't necessarily get the right things done. And so I started to investigate from a research perspective, yeah, what's the relationship between tech and productivity? Because clearly more technology doesn't end with endless productivity. If you map out tech against productivity, the more tech you get, it's not like a never-ending productivity nirvana. Yeah. Um, so something else happens. And so the, the true relationship is this. If, if you imagine a graph with productivity and, product, uh, and technology, it's an upside-down curve, an upside-down U. So you need technology to be productive. If you get a phone, get a laptop, learn to you know, integrate technology into your life, you'll be productive in almost every area. I mean, we're talking from the other side of the world. I couldn't do this right now. I'm working in my Ugg boots. There's my confession. You know, I get to do that. That's amazing. (laughs) But you get to this point where you reach the productive middle where you plateau, where more technology and using it more often doesn't actually make you more productive. It starts to just be, you know, normative. But then what happens, and I think most of us are now in this space post-COVID, if you keep reaching for your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night, if you rest on your phone, you work on your phone, you, you check it for everything, even at the dinner table, you, you end up sliding down the right-hand side of the curve and actually become less happy, less healthy, and less productive by using technology. And this is where I think we're in, this new place where I call it digital overuse. Uh, and digital overuse makes our brain scattered. It helps us, we lose focus. Uh, we feel like we're running to stand still. We're always going, we're never stopping. We, we, we kind of disconnect from some of our humanity mm-hmm. as men. 
some of the stuff that makes us really just happy and peaceful where we even have to justify just not being busy. And, um, and I think that's a place where the tools in space maker are really critical. So there are two sets of skills, the habits of making pace, which are the habits of using tech well on that left side of the curve, but you need the habits of making space, which are the habits where you intentionally and deliberately unplug from your devices and learn to reconnect with others, uh, with yourself and with the world around you. Yeah. That's amazing because I think a lot of people could probably relate into in terms of how technology has, has helped them. I mean, as a business owner, I remember saving up for a few years, two years to buy the, the you know, the top of the line Mac. And I'm never going to forget. I, I've been doing this podcast for four years now. And when I got the Mac, I uploaded a video on, on, on YouTube and I texted my, my wife. I said, it was up in less than five minutes. And, and this is, it used to take me 30 to 45 minutes to upload a video. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, there is me going up the left side of that curve. But, yeah. um, to your point, after that, it finishes its job. Anything further that I'm doing beyond that could become a detriment. If I'm trying to go on more websites, if I'm trying to maybe, oh, now that I finished that, let me do this, let me do that, let me do that. It could be overwhelming. And it honestly gives me, and the power of this machine gives me the ability to have multiple screens. Actually, I'm doing it. Here's my confession. I'm looking at you to my left. I have another screen with the, the, the notes, and I also have a pen and paper that I'm writing things down on. That's useful, but it's also what I found with the first thing I did. Daniel, I had my main screen that I worked on, and then I had another to-do list, and then I had my emails open while I had Twitter. And Next thing I know, I'm sitting down and though I can upload a video in less than five minutes, the time it took me to write the show notes was longer because I was also looking at all these other things that that I was able to pull up with the beauty of technology, but it wasn't that efficient. And and talk a little bit because I know you mentioned what this does to our brain and we've spoken before about neuroplasticity on the podcast and how we can reshape and mold the neurons in our brain. How is the use of technology and the availability of all this at our fingertips actually doing more harm than good when it comes to rewiring our brain? And I love your example. I think you've given a great example about uh, multitasking and about how, yeah, if you, if you're starting to see Twitter and email constantly, then it's going to, it's not just going to reduce your productivity. It's going to rewire your brain in a way that changes you from the inside out. And that's the, that's the problem. Mm. So um, an example is that when I was young, I used to play the piano. Uh, oh, actually, I should probably say my my parents paid for piano lessons. That's probably more accurate. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I played the piano and I had to do like 15 to 20 minutes a day. You know, it nearly killed me. And uh, my poor parents argued constantly. But eventually, uh, after years of perseverance, I could play, you know, Chopin and Mozart and other pieces, uh, even without sheet music, because my brain had developed the music centers of it. Uh, neurons had connected. Uh, I was able to suddenly play and, and you know, do things with my fingers. Uh, I, I can't play the piano now because I've stopped practicing. And so the neurons have weakened, but I'm sure I could go back faster than had I never played in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting, that was like something happened in terms of how I thought, how I moved my fingers, the way my brain was wired that that changed with, let's say 15, 20 minutes a day for like four or five days a week. But 
the majority of us, the average American is now practicing the internet 9.9 to 12 hours a day. Uh, in Australia, it's about the same. Uh, so I would be practicing the internet probably 10 hours a day on average. Mm. And, and so you think about that, it's exactly the same thing. What you practice changes your brain. So if you are checking uh, Twitter while you are emailing, while you are trying to get work done, uh, and whenever you know a notification pops in on your phone, you know you habitually reach for your phone and scan what's coming in. If you do that for 12, 14, 16 hours a day, uh, it will completely rewire your brain, and there'll be aspects of your brain that aren't developing. Because imagine if you're playing the piano 12 hours a day. Yeah. Like, there's not enough life left. Yeah to play sport and to exercise and to learn to think in silence and solitude and to, to I don't know, and to use the internet. Does that make sense? Because you're, you, you're finite in terms of your time. And so you, you have this amazing brain for music, but you would neglect other parts of your life. That is what's happening with the internet. Uh, and, and this is why we end up finding that we can't read a book anymore because we don't have the concentration. We start reading two pages and we want to start to look up something on Google related to the book, uh, or we're just like, we're scattered. Um, we can't just sit at the bus stop or be, you know, in the supermarket or just sit even, you know, with a friend and actually just have a conversation without suddenly wanting to reach for this device. We are totally wiring our brain so that we need constant dopamine hits. Uh, we need the kind of the adrenaline rush of seeing new things. And that's, you know, Twitter is literally reducing our ability to think deeply. And we're learning to train our brain to think in very simple sound bites where we get angry at things very quickly, where the world is black and white. And mm -hmm. we can explain it in like a certain amount of characters as opposed to having deep, complex thought and nuance and paradox. Uh, so we're changing because our technology's practice is changing us. And uh, so that's, that's the bad part of the news. The good part is, you know, we're also extending our brain. We're getting to do things that we couldn't possibly do. Uh, we're getting influenced by people in all these different places where you'd never be chatting to an Aussie from Tasmania. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there's good and bad, but, but the problem with digital overuse is you've got to unplug and rewire your brain to give yourself space to enjoy space and rest and deep thought and deep relationships without devices. If you can do that, then you get the best of technology uh, without becoming enslaved by it. Yeah. Does that connect with your experience, the way I've described internet practice? It does. Absolutely. I think it's it's putting the responsibility in the hands of the user. Um, and when it comes to that neuroplasticity, I see that my mom and my dad, they're, they're much older. They're from a, a, a generation, maybe two separated from me. My dad is going to be 81 soon. My mom's 76 and his uncanny ability to remember phone numbers and even bank accounts. Like uh, my dad was like, I want to send you some money. The bank accounts, yada, 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 right? I'm like, I don't know. I have to look it up. But my dad's <laughs> just got it locked in. Uh, my mom is the type of person where um, I was picking her up from the store. She's like, okay, I'm outside. I was like, all right, about 10, 10 minutes away. And I drive, I'm at the red light and I could see the store from where I am. And uh, I finally pull up and then from the red light to getting my mom was maybe three minutes. And she was just sitting with her legs crossed and her, her hands on her knees and just looking out, not pulling her phone out, 
she's kind of looking around and I walk in, I pull up and she just casually gets up. So she has this ability to sit in silence that Hmm. I've noticed. So being that my parents are older and not as privy to technology, I see how their behavior is different. But I also um, taught them how to text so we can talk more than them having to call me every time. I taught them how to email and, you know, my dad will text me a screenshot of Amazon, of a product on Amazon that I can order for them. So there's been these benefits, right? And, and you kind of touched on that, like th- there is good and bad. So we could talk about social media, for example. Is social media good? Is it bad? Or is it kind of depending on the user and how we, how we utilize the tool? Yeah. So I look, I, I do talk a bit about social media. I certainly write about it in my book. Uh, may, may I reframe the question and then answer your question? Yeah, please. Uh, because I think people often start with social media. Is it good or bad? And I actually think that's not necessarily the right question. That's not challenging your questioning, of course. Yeah. But I, I think the right question is, why Why are we on social media? So what, is, what are we trying to achieve? And then is it achieving that? So, mm. um, and, and so what's fascinating is I really do believe that social media meets a need. And what it meets is this desire to connect with people, to be part of a tribe, to have deep and meaningful friendships and relationships, because that is one of our core foundational needs as humans. Uh, We always grow up in tribes. We need a community. And in a hyper-individualized society like America or Australia, where so many of us are lonely and we just work and we go home, we, we don't have a tribe to raise kids in. We don't have a tribe to really live by. Um, a lot of us don't even have, you know, two or three friends we could go to in a crisis and say, I'm having problems with my marriage or I'm having problems with my health um, mm-hmm. because we are isolated. So, so social media kind of is about trying to help us create relationships. And, um, and the reason I think that's really important to go back to is because the research in terms of connecting with loved ones face-to-face in real time, in real place, uh, is incredible. Like there is, there is, there are decades of, there's decades of longitudinal research that says people who have strong relationships with other people face-to-face, you know, connected with people they love and connected with a wide variety of people on a regular basis. They, they live longer, they're happier, they're healthier. They do better in life with finances, with like basically with everything. Um, a social neuroscientist, Susan Pinker looked at the longitudinal studies of mortality. So what makes you live longer? Uh, and actually I think I've got this written down. She said that neglecting to keep in close contact with people who are important to you is at least as dangerous to your health as a packet a day cigarette habit, hypertension or obesity. So basically right at the top of the list for the people who live the longest are the ones who connect with loved ones in person, even more than those who give up smoking from the research. (laughs) That is something we don't talk about, how important relationships are. We kind of know it intuitively, but we forget it. And the reason I start with that is because the question is, does replacing face-to-face community with social media does it replace that benefit? And the research is absolutely not. Um, in fact, the research is suggesting that there's probably something about Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook that is negative in terms of our mental health and happiness. It makes us feel lonelier and more left out, mm-hmm. ironically, even as we have more friends. Uh, but even if it's not a bad thing, because there are certainly some great benefits, as you said, of social media for business, I use it. It's great for connecting. It's fantastic to keep in touch with people around the world. Uh, it can be great to find out what friends are doing where you wouldn't connect with them in the past. So there are some benefits. But if we trade, and if we trade too much time away from real relationships, like textured 
concrete face-to-face relationships and then swap the time. This is the internet practicing again. Swap the time for connecting with loose ties and loose friendships and thousands of people in a wide variety of ways online, you will end up being less happy Mm -hmm. Um, because one is like, is like magic. (laughs) The magic formula for humanity is to hang out with a friend and play tennis, give them a hug, sit at the beach, cry with them. You know what? I don't know. You know, do weights, do weights and get fit. Like, you know, guys, girls, which whatever you want to do, that's the formula for a happy life. Yeah. And trading it to be on a screen, liking and sharing pictures of each other is like a, it's a sad replacement. Um, So social media is not good or bad. It's helpful unless it replaces what really matters. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Does that make sense? It absolutely does because we need to understand the utilization of social media and the goal of it is, is to connect people and clearly social media alone isn't connecting people, but it could be the vehicle that allows us to connect. It allows us to gather. So for your case in point, the example I would use is, you know, I created a Facebook group. I put out the podcast. I hosted a live conference for people to come together. So where they have met online, they are now going to be able to have a real world connection because social media gave me access to them. And then facilitating the actual event is what brings us together in in the physical realm and the physical space for the that connection. Um, with that thought process, how can we navigate this information that you've been giving us? You mentioned before the the habits of making pace and the habits of making space. What are some of the tips you can give some folks listening that they can maybe uh, start implementing into their worlds to maybe have more productivity? better manage their technology use and and start building towards the life that they're really trying to build. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So look, the first thing I'd say is maybe have a bit of an audit of your heart and your relationship with technology. Uh, And so what I mean by that is just get a sense of what your relationship with your phone is, (laughs) you know, and, and to think about, you know, what do you do first thing in the morning? Do you um, sit in bed and think about the day? Do you, you know, give your spouse a, a hug or talk to your kids or do you open up Twitter and open up your email? Do you know, uh, what, what do you do at different points in the day? So, so it's a bit like a food diary, have a bit of a sense of what you do throughout the day. The other way to do that is just basically go cold Turkey for one day. So, so pick a day on the weekend and say just zero tech, nothing like nada. And, um, and, and test your reactions. You know, are you reaching for your phone when it's not there? Are you feeling phantom vibrations? Are you, are you kind of, constantly wanting to look up something because your brain's starting to freak out because you just don't have enough stimulation. So I think that can be a bit of a, a bit of a way of um, testing what's healthy and what's not. You know, are you mastering your tools or are they actually mastering you without you knowing it? Mm-hmm. So that's the data part. And then from there, you know, think about, okay, what do I need to change? And just change one small habit at a time. Uh, I've got a bunch of habits in my book. It's kind of a structured program in many ways for leaders. So how would you have an annual retreat? Like take, how would you reflect on making space annually in terms of booking holidays before work without tech? Uh, Weekly, which is like a digital Sabbath. How might you structure a particular day each week where you live differently and you work differently to rest fully? uh, And then lots of daily practices, um, Maybe some examples of daily ones because we've already talked about relationships. Uh, if if you live with others, maybe you're, you're a parent, uh, maybe you've got flatmates, 
the habit of eating a meal together, let's say dinner around a table with no tech, like that alone will change your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the habits of making space to unplug and eat a meal together to talk with people in your life. So that's that kind of reconnecting with real people and actually relating to them and hearing about their day and sharing your day. If you do that every day with the people you care about, uh, it, it just enriches your life um, and, and it will strengthen your relationships. Uh, and the research says that families who eat with their kids without, without tech around a table, if you do that every day, your kids will have better reading and writing skills uh, when they're teenagers, they'll be less likely to be addicted to marijuana, be teen pregnant as a teen. They'll have better college entrance scores. When they're adults, they'll have less debt. They'll have better mental health outcomes. Uh, and it doesn't matter what you feed them. doesn't matter if it's like cheap pizza or you know organic vegan food. Um, it's about the relationship that you form with them. Uh, that habit is so powerful. It's, it's actually a keystone habit and it will unlock a whole lot of benefits. So one habit of making space eat without tech together with others and relate to people. And you're, you're already like so far ahead in your parenting, so far ahead in your own life. Yeah. Um, so that's an example of one making space habit, even if you're using tech the rest of the time. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And it's, it's funny. My wife sent me a text one morning because um, she's usually asleep. And my habits, I, I wake up, I give her a little kiss. I get ready for work and I walk out the door. And she asked if I had received the text. I was like, yeah, you're, you're lucky I saw, I saw it because my habit is I don't really, um, I'll, I'll listen to Blinkist, a little book summary on my way to work and a Bible verse. But other than that, I don't get any prompts from social media. I don't find out what's going on in the world until I get into work. I've made my tea and I sit down at the desk and, and I, to the point where I was like, I don't even know what's happening in the weather when I walk in the door. She's, wow, like, well, that's isn't, right. she's like, isn't that your job? I was like, yeah, it's my job to know what's happening in the weather, which is why I'm there at 2 a.m. So by 4 a.m., I know what's happening. So if I, so even my producers know if I walk in at 3 a.m. and they say, hey, Ted, what's the latest with the storm? I don't know. I just walked in the door. Now, not everybody does does that. Not everybody prescribes to that. But for me and my mental health, I don't want to worry about anything until I've had that process about that 30 to 40 minutes in the morning. Um, before I actually start looking at tech. You mentioned something that I think a lot can of people- I, Can I just say something on that, Ted? I yeah. just think that's a brilliant habit. One of my habits is to start and end the day without technology mm-hmm. uh, by pausing before and end uh, and to charge your phone outside of your bedroom for exactly that reason so that nice. you can start with uh, thinking your own thoughts and not someone else's thoughts, not hearing about the bad news in the Ukraine as soon as you wake up or finding out what's happening on your Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I pray- I reflect, I think about, you know, Hey, I'm going to talk to this guy, Ted, what might I want to say? And what might I want to, you know, hear from him? Like, so, so I'm, I'm just thinking, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and I lost that when I used to reach for my phone first thing in the morning as my alarm clock. And mm. then I'd just go straight to email and then I'd be straight into the work day because my clients are in the U S so I'd be straight into work right at the beginning. And I hadn't even thought about what I wanted my day to look like. Mm-hmm. Or at night, I found that I'm sitting in bed with my wife, she's playing Candy Crush, and I'm looking at email. And like, I'm making love to my phone instead of making love to my wife. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. We've got yeah. kids, it's so hard to find time to talk. And the bed is one of those times where you get to talk at the end of the day. And we gave that up for Siri. Yeah. So, so yeah, that little habit of making space is a game changer. I just want to really reinforce that it, I, I 100% support what you've said. 
Yeah, no, you're so right, because I do think a lot of people, um, an amazing statistic. I mean, we've said before, anywhere between 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day, right? And we've also, we get prompts and marketing and all these things in our face up to about 60,000 per day. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And what floored me was when someone once said, it's like, with all those prompts and all those thoughts, how many of those thoughts are your own? So then if you... If you start with the phone, whether it is a prompt of what's happening across the world, or maybe it's a text message from bad news, you immediately start your day inviting other people's thoughts into your psyche and you don't get to ground and center yourself. Um, please. And and I think that's the difference between a leader and someone who who is led by culture. Because if you don't think your own thoughts, well, then you're just going to live the script of culture. So you're going to, you're going to be living the life that the shareholders of Silicon Valley tech companies are teaching you to live Mm -hmm. rather than being able to sit and think, okay, who am I? (laughs) Why do I live? What matters to me? You know, how do I want to shape my habits and, and what values do I want to pass on to my family? What career do I want to chase? You know, am I, am I, you know, Stephen Covey once said that if your ladder's against the wrong wall in terms of career and work or Mm -hmm. life, then every, every progress you make up that ladder is heading you in the wrong direction faster. But if you never stop and really think deeply about your calling and your, and why you exist and where you're heading, well, then you could be really successful in a life that you were never meant to live. So we have to stop and think and to make space to reflect on the inner life because that's what leads us to live the humanity and the, and the masculinity we are actually meant to live that, to, to actually live our calling. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's not just about even getting stuff done. It's about living the life you want to live. It's that, but that's what's at stake if we if we don't stop to think our own thoughts. Yeah, si- silence the noise. Identify who we are and what we actually want to do and where we're going. Um, and speaking about going places, you mentioned having kids, right? And and sitting around the dinner table. I think that's a great habit. And my wife and I talk about having dinner table conversations. And there's probably some parents listening, some guys listening. We're like, I can't get my kids off their phone. (laughs) Right. How about we start with the first question is when's the right time to give our kid a phone or a smartphone or introduce them to this power of technology? Yeah. Oh, look, that is a big question. Uh, so as, as you know, I've just written a book that comes out well, very, very soon uh, mm-hmm. called Raising Tech Healthy Humans. So it is addressing how do you reset your kids' habits or set them up with good tech habits. Um, parents consistently say in the US and Australia that technology is their number one pain point or the number one fear in terms of kids and raising kids. Uh, when should you give your kid a phone? Look, there's a lot of answers to that the the simplest answer because we don't have a lot of time i'm sure is uh, as slow as possible basically um when you look at technology and kids particularly smartphones like let me give you an example i I once i once taught my kid how to chainsaw he was eight years old and he was really interested and he saw me chainsawing so i thought i'll teach him how to chainsaw Mm -hmm. and i um i set him up and you know taught him how to use the brake and never let go of the chainsaw and we put goggles on and and earmuffs and and uh i set him up with a safe piece of wood and i let it rip and uh it was really dangerous he couldn't hold it it was too heavy uh, the wood chips flew in his face and he freaked out and it wasn't a very good experience because actually, you know, I should have known this, but an eight year old can't use a chainsaw. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's, it's an adult tool built for the adult world. And I would say exactly the same for an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, an iPhone is a very powerful supercomputer 
that opens the world up to the internet uh, to a whole lot of adult things. You get the great stuff like being able to search for stuff on Google. You get the dark stuff like grooming and pornography. Um, you know, the majority of young people are seeing pornography at a very, very young age and being exposed through targeting. Uh, so, so when I say as, low, as slow as possible, I definitely say not in primary school, which is mm. when most people are getting iPhones nowadays. So not for that, that means be, not before they're a teenager yeah. is, is my, you know, that would definitely be my advice. And, and the other thing is when you give your child a phone, don't just give it to them out of the box like a chainsaw and say, good luck, you know, like <laughs> put parental controls in place, um, put digital contracts in place where you have really healthy agreements about this is how you use the phone well and this is how you don't use it well. Uh, filter some of the worst of the internet so that kids can be protected of some of the really dangerous stuff and then you relax those filters so you grade up as they grow up. So you're basically training them to use the phone well and not in a completely addicted way. Um, that, that can be tough and it takes a bit of skill, which is why I wrote a book on it. Mm. But the, the key is that to realize that it's actually quite an addict. It's a, it's a highly addictive device. I mean, you and I are talking about how addicted we get to technology. Yeah. But if you give it to a kid before their brain is formed, before they have any mood regulation, they, before they have the ability to self-monitor, like they can't even see a chocolate and not put it in their mouth knowing that even when the parents say not to, do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. their brains are not formed and, and to give them a substance like uh, an iPhone, yeah. which is highly addicted and designed to make you addicted. It, it actually can have some really terrible consequences for their mental health and their development, unless mm. you grade up slowly. But that's yeah. a very quick ex example. And I'm sorry if parents feel like that's a really hard message, um, but I think we can, do better when we have more understanding yeah. and um, and where we have some really practical skills and tips to set our kids up well for life. Yeah, no, absolutely. You have to do it slow because, uh, you know, and my nephew, for example, loves his tech, loves his games. He's 14 now. And, and when he was over us, I, I'm never going to forget. He went, he came to visit us for during his break one time. He spent five days with us and he had his Oculus. He had his cell phone. He had his iPad. He wanted to play my PlayStation at one time. He wanted to have all of them going at the same time. And one day I was like, no, Jackie, we're going outside. And, um, and next day we would do something else outside by the end of the trip, Daniel, I'm never going to forget. We were riding our bikes. It was a beautiful sunny day with 73 degrees, light winds, you know, the kind of day people ride about and we're riding our bikes. We're going around the loop. I found this really steep hill. We could keep going down and he was behind me. I was pumping the brakes too much. He wanted to go in front of me and go faster. And I just hear him yell, oh man, I don't want to go inside. And I was like, that right there, that right there was everything for me. And he went home and my sister's like, what did you do to him? He like, he's, he's a little different, but in just one week, having, having that fun, he's like, I don't want to go inside. He doesn't want to go back to the PlayStation. He doesn't want to go back to the games. Now, sure. When we got back inside, that's the first thing he was looking for. But while we were out there, he was completely engrossed in what we were doing, which is, I think, what a lot of parents hope their kids could experience the joy and the purity that they could experience. 
I just, I love your description. I, I called the book Raising Humans. They made me put tech healthy in the middle, but I called it, I was going to call it Raising Humans because I think that's what we're trying to do. Humans who love the breadth and depth of life. And that's not just for kids. That's for us. That's what we've been talking about. Yeah. You know, like the humans who can enjoy silence and who can be at the beach and be enamored at something as beautiful and as simple as a seashell mm -hmm. uh, people who can just laugh with friends or you know have the adrenaline rush like you said of going mountain bike riding and experiencing sunshine um, I asked my kids you know what's the best thing you've ever done in your life and like they said, I jumped on the trampoline with my neighbor once. Mm -hmm. And then another one said, we went to like this, you know, like it was a bit like a national lampoons vacation place. And we played mini golf and something funny happened with the ball. Like I've taken them to Disneyland and their best experience of life is like this cheap, <laughs> this cheap experience. Where, and, and they were always outdoors doing stuff with people they loved and, and often, you know, just, just stuff that was mooching around and, and being together. Mm. Um, no one's going to say the best experience of my life was being on Minecraft or, you know, getting my inbox to zero uh, or having, you know, a thousand people like me on a Twitter feed. Like that's not going to be what you say made your life meaningful. It's going to be exactly like that experience that your nephew, I think you said had that that will be one of the best experiences of his life. And and that only happens when we unplug. And so we, we need to regain the best of humanity and then technology has its place. Mm. But if we, if we overcook it and we allow technology to take over the texture of every moment, then I think we lose something of our soul and our, and our relationships and the beauty of why we live in the first place. And that's the heart of making space or of raising humans. Yeah. So you've described it really well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's two books that our, our listeners need to check out. It's Space Maker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital, digital Age, and Raising Tech Healthy Humans, How to Reject uh, or Reset Your Children's Tech Habits and Give Them a Great Start to Life. Daniel, how can they access the book, access more of your work, follow you, and get more tips on how we could maybe make better use of the technology that we're surrounded by. Yeah, no, thanks for that. So I have uh, a website for the Raising Humans book called raisinghumans.au. And if you have backslash gift, then you can get this great parenting resource pack. It has an infographic to explain like screen time because there's some texture around that. So how might you set up your kids for life? Uh, a whole lot of great parenting resources, videos. It's, it's a really great pack if you're interested in getting that for free. Uh, the other one is Space Makers com.au the au is again for australia if you head there you can also download free digital sabbath guides so how do you actually plan a day a week without tech uh, it's not as simple as you think but it's life giving and so i've got a whole lot of stuff there on spacemakers.com.au uh, i think backslash book and follow the links Absolutely. I'll have those links in the show notes for folks to, to click right away and they can go to it right now. Um, last question before I kind of do a quick recap and wrap us up. And this is a heavy one. I always save it for last. It's uh, what is something you might have seen, experienced in, in your life that kind of shapes the way you view the world as a man? Wow, you hit hit me with a hard one at the end. Hey? <laughs> uh, look, I'd have to say um, my faith experiences. I, I, when I was young, I had these supernatural experiences, which are hard to explain. I, I met an angel or something like that, you know, and, um, 
and had this incredible warmth and this sense that there's a world beyond me. Uh, I've had experiences where I would say demonic um, things have left my body and I've seen them. And then my whole world has changed in terms of my mindset and my mental health changed when that happened. So I've had these kind of experiences which don't fit the box in terms of rational, sensible Western culture where (laughs) nothing miraculous and supernatural exists and everything is just what you see. Mm. Uh, And that led me to a journey where I became a person of faith. Um, I follow Jesus, but, but um, yeah, and, and changed my mindset in terms of examining the inner life and uh, living, yeah, living beyond just what we see here and now. So that deep answer mm-hmm. to finish, that's my honest answer about what's changed my life. I appreciate that, Daniel, and that's the perfect answer. We support all of that over here. Um, I'm going to recap some of the amazing things that you've given us in, in this past episode because uh, there were a lot of gems along the way, and I do encourage folks to kind of listen to this episode, listen to this podcast while cleaning, driving, getting things done, as long as they keep their eye on the road. Um, <laughs> get the right things done, right? A lot of us probably have a to-do list that could be 100 items long, and we get so confident when we start checking those boxes. But if we're checking the wrong boxes and even as you mentioned a ladder up on the wrong building every rung is in the wrong direction so maybe make sure we're getting the right things done a slower pace slowing down to get more done helping to find margin in our lives these are the things that might sound a little oxymoronic counterintuitive but they really do work more tech makes us more busy just makes us busier and we're surrounded by all this tech, but it's reprogramming our brains and it's actually training our brains to be less efficient and lose that capacity to focus. So maybe ask ourselves, why are we using social media? Reassess our relationship with the tools around us. Uh, Connecting with loved ones is really what gives us that fuel, not the connections on social media. And then what is our relationship with tech? Maybe introducing uh, uh, a a digital Sabbath or a day where we don't use any technology, perhaps maybe starting with the habit of simply sitting at the dinner table with no phones, no technology, and having those real conversations to build those relationships. And then mastering your tools or are your tools mastering you? A question that you might want to ask yourselves, especially when you try that Sabbath. I loved what you said about those phantom vibrations. I've seen that happen to people. It is a thing. Um, And then, of course, uh, being a leader versus following culture spending the time at the beginning of the day with your own thoughts or identifying what it is you truly want instead of some of the prescribed information and the prescribed drivers that is is prescribed to us. And of course, understanding that this technology, this power of the smartphone is an adult tool designed for an adult world. And maybe it's not easy. It's not as uh, sure. It's not easy to tell kids no, but maybe it's not the safest thing to just give them such a powerful tool with zero guidance. Uh, Daniel, this has been amazing. Um, I'm encouraging all of our listeners and our followers to follow you and get more information. Anyone that enjoyed this episode, please do us the big favor of sharing this with a friend you know can get benefits from it. Leave us a rating and let us know how we're doing. It's the only way we can improve. And as always, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get a new episode each and every single week. We appreciate you rocking with us all the way to the end. And as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow. 